Anyway, let's uh, pray before we hear the word of God read to us. Lord, we thank you for your precious word, which is so readily available to us, especially in this country. Thank you that it is always timely for advice and correction and encouragement. Open our hearts this morning to receive it. And Lord, give us all a thirst for your beautiful word and that we will carry on reading and digesting it in our homes during the week. We thank you for your faithful servant, Peter. May your Holy Spirit work through him this morning as you minister to us through his preaching and your precious word. Amen. We're going to hear uh, from Jim as he brings us the first reading. The first reading is taken from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they were toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains the same forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to the place from which it rises. The wind blows from the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow along to the sea. And yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome. More than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear is full of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which we can say, hey, look, look, this is something new. It was here already. Long ago it was here before our time. No one remembers the former day generations and even those yet to come will not remember, be remembered by those who follow them. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explain or explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. And what a heavy burden God has placed on me. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. 
What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is locked cannot be covered, counted. I said to myself, look, look, I've increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned about this too, is a chasing after wind. For wind, from with much wisdom comes sorrow. The more knowledge, the more private grief. And our second reading is from Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 25. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved." But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But we hope for what we do not yet have. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Well, good morning. Let's pray again as we come to these passages. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Thank you that you speak to us in your word. Thank you that we can hear you in a language we understand. And thank you that we can meet here free from threat. We pray today that you would encourage people meeting in churches all around the world as you encourage us now here. Help us to hear what you are saying to us through your word today and help me to speak it truthfully. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, good morning. Thanks for having me here this morning. It's really nice to be here with you. Um, it, it is a real shame that the CMS Summer Conference uh, didn't go ahead, but I do hope that many of you will listen to the podcast material. We spent the day um, producing some of it yesterday, and there's, there's some really good stuff there. Um, uh, really interesting interviews, conversations about mission, that sort of thing. So please do be looking out for that. Um, I wonder if you could help me the, this morning. I just need a show of hands. We'll be fine. Um, if I say, could you put your hand up? If when I say Barmy Army, you know what I'm talking about. The Barmy Army. Oh, good. Yes. Okay. There's a bit of culture among us. Um, for those of you who, who haven't raised your hands, let me just fill you in. The Barmy Army is a group that travel around following English cricket. Uh, kind of a tragic existence, I, I hear you. But there's a bunch of them that have been in Australia this summer. 
they leave the wet English winter to travel around to all the games that England are playing. Uh, they sit together, they stay together, they sing together. If you've been watching the cricket, you might notice one of them plays the trumpet quite well and has a, a very good sense of humour. They, they generally have a, a really nice time together. Well, that's the plan, of course. I mean, I wonder how the Barmy Army are feeling at the moment. You know, the results haven't really gone their way, have they? You know, in, investing in five, five days of tickets for a test match has not really been a great investment. Um, and really, you know, the weather haven't, hasn't even been great for going to the beaches between matches as they travel around. I wonder if there's a few members of the Barmy Army who are just feeling like the whole thing has been a bit of a waste of time, a, a disappointing experience, a kind of a stressful, you know, I'm wasting my holiday kind of feeling. But of course it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, the success of a Barmy Army tour is, is really about your expectations, understanding what you want out of the tour and what understanding what the attitude you have about the tour. So you could say, well, look, English, England are pretty rubbish at cricket at the moment, so we'll just go along to enjoy the game, we'll enjoy the atmosphere, see some sights as we travel around Australia, meet some new friends, sing some new songs, have a nice time. I mean, winning the game is very unlikely, so let's just take that out of the equation. Great. If you accept that reality, then when the result doesn't go your way, you're okay with it. Rather than feeling stressed about, oh, I'm, I'm wasting my holiday, feeling disappointed, feeling anxious, you're okay. The book of Ecclesiastes opens with a poem. And it's a poem that describes the world as the writer sees it. And, and the writer, as we saw, as Jim read it for us, is a teacher, a son of David, a king in Jerusalem. This is, this is not just a poem, the, the wisdom of the street. It's educated, royal, qualified wisdom. And what does the teacher say about the way the world is? He says in verse 2 that the kind of the, the headline sentence is meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. There's not a lot of doubt there, is there? That the repetition drives it home, meaningless. And if we were to read the entire book of Ecclesiastes, meaningless is a word, is, is a concept we see over and over again. It's the concept of here today, gone tomorrow. A, a breath, a, a vapour, kind of a, a puffer, pff, gone. A momentary nothingness that is there, it's, it's real, but then is gone. The things that are meaningless are, are real, it's not like they're an illusion or you know, an out-of-body experience or an ecstatic experience or something, no, no. It's just, it's a real but momentary and fleeting thing. A, a morning mist, a momentary breeze, five minutes of fame, a joy whatever it is, but then gone. 
And so having made this, this headline statement, meaningless, meaningless, in, in the opening line, the teacher goes on in his poem to give examples of things that are meaningless. Um, sometimes he, he gives the example in, in the form of kind of like a, a rhetorical question, other times in, in observations from, from nature or from life. So, for example, have a look at verse 3. What do the people gain from all their labours at which they toil under the sun? It's a, it's a rhetorical question. And what's the answer that the, the, the teacher is expecting? Nothing. It's meaningless. Or verse 5, an observation from nature. The sun rises and the sun sets and it hurries back to where it rises. Or verse 6, another observation from nature. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north and round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. Or verse 11, an observation from life. No one remembers the former generations. Even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. And on and on the poem and the book goes. It, it, it's a harsh reality check. It's one of those moments which I find myself saying, yes, what he's saying is true. The, the poem, it rings true with our experience of life, I think. But I wonder if there's an angle or an alternative that he hasn't explored. Is there something that he's missing Is there something that if he just looked at it a different way, it wouldn't seem so bad? Kind of like looking at COVID figures. Um, I live in Sydney. We've kind of got used to this in New South Wales over the last few weeks. You know, infection numbers in the 30, 40 thousands. Uh, I haven't seen the numbers today, but it'll be 20 something thousand, I expect. But that's not the whole story. If we, if we look at the intensive care numbers compared to you know, a percentage of the whole, they're coming down. So, you know, that's good. Maybe maybe the teacher at this point in Ecclesiastes is just kind of focusing in on one bit of information. Maybe if he, he widened his view and looked at a bigger picture, we'd get a bit of a bounce rather than just this meaninglessness. So that's what he does in chapter 2. He starts, he starts exploring, he starts looking for a broader perspective, looking for some, some data, if you like, that will somehow change the message. He's, it's almost like he's testing his theory. He runs some experiments to see whether his theory is life, to see, to see whether actually everything is meaningless. Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. Surely something more than meaningless can be found in the pursuit of pleasure, right? You know, we're on the coast, it's summer, kind of. Um, There's a public holiday coming up, the boat's ready to go, there's plenty of ice in the esky, there's lamb chops in the fridge. At this point, the teacher sounds like he could be Australian, pursuing pleasure. But the conclusion to this experiment, that also proved to be meaningless. Verse 3, I tried cheering myself with wine. Well, hello, I just drove down from Adelaide this morning. It seems like that could happen here. And embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. 
Live the high life, he said. Wine, high living, surely there is some meaning there. No, meaningless. Verse 4, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. In verse 10, chapter 2, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Property development, investments, riches, toys, he had it all. The great Australian dream. Listen to his conclusion, chapter 2, verse 11. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. The experiment ran its course. The alternatives were sought and came up wanting. And his original conclusion stood. Meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. He's like the man who had all the toys, lived the dream, and is now lying on his bed taking his last breath, and he's thinking to himself, what does it all mean? And the best, most honest answer he can come up with is nothing. Meaningless. So how does he respond to that? that? If that's his conclusion, how does he respond? Chapter 2, verse 17 says this. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. He wasn't just, oh, that's a shame, or, you know, that was a bit of a waste. I was hoping for a bit more than that. No, no, he says, he hated life because it was so meaningless. Or down in verse 20, he says, So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. Hate, despair. These are very deep, strong words and, and feelings, aren't they? And he's right. This isn't just some flippant, momentary feeling of emptiness. He isn't writing a, a clickbaiting opinion piece here. He is educated royalty, a leader of Israel writing kind of prophetically. He wants the world to be meaningful. He's done the research. He's looking, he's hoping, and the world has been found wanting. And so in a sense, hate despair, these really deep emotions, they are valid reactions. Now, at this point, I just want to say, Duncan invited me to preach on this passage. I, I, I didn't mean to come here as some black cloud to hang over you. On, I've actually got written in my notes, I didn't want to come to be a black cloud on an otherwise pleasant summer's day. But we'll just say I didn't want to come to be a black cloud, right? Um, 
I don't know about you, but when I read this chapter, these chapters of Ecclesiastes, in fact, the whole book of Ecclesiastes, they are, they are very real. So we know so many of the things we pursue, so many of the things we put our time and our effort into, at the end of the day, will they be remembered by the next generation? Will they be given value? No. Will there be meaning in it? No. I think from time to time we all have that kind of moment of reflection. We all ask those questions of ourselves. What are we doing? Because the teacher is right. There is just a sameness. There is a repetitiveness. There is a meaninglessness to the things that can seem important in our lives. Just think about the last couple of years. If there's anything we've learnt from the pandemic, it's that so much of what we want or aim for in life, it's just a mist. Here today, taken away tomorrow. Uh, I get the impression that things haven't been as bad here in South Australia, but in Melbourne, in in Sydney, in other parts of the world, in Mexico, in Mexico, so we left... Mexico in June, July 2020, my girls who were in high school got locked out of their school in March 2020. Their classmates have not gone back yet. That's two and a half years. It's coming up again. These are, you know, I've got friends who are halfway through their university degree and have never been on campus. It's really hard. So many things around the world, big plans being put in place that came to nothing. Think, think the Olympics. Sure, they kind of went ahead, but not really, right? I mean, running around the track in front of 80,000 empty seats, accepting your gold medal and waving to the cameraman, that's pretty lame, isn't it? Uh, my friends in Sydney and Melbourne who are ministers of churches have told me that 2021 was the year of planning things that never happened. South Australia is the third summer school, summer conference, this over these two-week periods that has not happened. Um, even the people who are fortunate enough to have kept their jobs talk about their life being sucked out of them as their plans come to nothing, as the, the drudgery of work becomes too apparent. Those pinning their hopes on travel, closed borders, flights cancelled. Instead of memories and souvenirs, all they have are unusable flight credits. So let me come back to the Barmy Army. If you were in the, are you a member of the Barmy Army and you're expecting to be on the plane back to the UK with an Ashes winning team, then yes, despair it will be. But... You know what? If your perspective was, let's go to Australia and have a nice couple of months, see some new places, meet some new friends, then it could have been quite a good tour. So with all the evidence that the teacher has collected to to argue that everything is meaningless, what should our perspective, what should our expectation be? Is there anything 
that we can do, or is there you know, anything we, we can think that will help us not despair about life, not hate life as the writer did? Well, the good news is that there is. And I want to show you two places where we can see that. One from the book of Ecclesiastes and one from the New Testament. So in Ecclesiastes, right at the end in chapter 12, the last two verses really help us, I think. Chapters, uh, chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, the, the, the teacher concludes his book this way. He says, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. After 12 chapters of investigation where the conclusion is meaningless, keeps on coming up, here is the last word. Fear God and keep his commandments. Why? Because, says the teacher, God will judge everything. That is, here is something that is above all the meaninglessness of the world. God and his judgment. And here is something that is greater than the meaninglessness of all things that we pursue or the things that we're not remembered for. The judgment of God. That is to say, above all the meaninglessness of the world... There is ultimate meaning, God and his judgment. Above all the vain pursuits of the world, there is a pursuit that will not produce despair, keeping the commandments of God. Now, what does that look like and how does that kind of work? Well, the teacher doesn't really tell us here. He just says, it is. And it is something to aim for. But the second passage in the book of Romans helps us, I think. So we're going to go to Romans chapter 8, which was read for us. Uh, Miriam read it for us. And, And as we go there, we need to remember that Ecclesiastes doesn't just sit there like a, a book by itself. It's a particular book with a particular author and style and, and all of that. But it is part of a bigger collection of books in the Bible. Now, the Bible as a whole isn't just like a big cardboard box that happens to contain a whole lot of books that are sort of similar. You know, it's like one of those boxes of mixed fruit that you get from the the grocer and you get what you get. You know, you get some apples, some oranges, bananas, some kiwi fruit, watermelon and a pineapple. It's It's all fruit, but it just happens to be in a box together. No, no, the Bible's not like that. There is a very careful relationship between all the books of the Bible. There is a single storyline running through the entire Bible, a storyline that takes us to Jesus. So what that means is each time we read a little bit of the storyline, we need to think, how does Jesus inform that bit of the storyline? Or how does that bit of the storyline inform us about Jesus? And so when we read Ecclesiastes chapter 1, for example, we need to read it in the context of the whole storyline, not just lift it out and read it on its own. So what difference does Jesus make 
to Ecclesiastes. If he is the the key focus of the whole storyline, we need to understand him in Ecclesiastes. Well, it's very clear that the New Testament doesn't say, don't worry about it. Everything that the teacher said back then, everything that he discovered was wrong. This meaningless stuff, don't worry about it. No, no, no. The New Testament is very realistic about life, knowing that life will be full of disappointments and difficulties and repetition and suffering and meaninglessness. But amongst all that, because of the new life that comes through the resurrected Jesus, we can look to God in certainty and hope. And so instead of living a life of kind of or feeling hate and despair about life and meaninglessness, we can live in certainty and hope. I'd like to read again just a few verses from Romans chapter 8. And as I do that, I'd like you to listen out for the contrast between the present situation, the life we are in now, and the future situation. I'm going to read Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 25, and just listen out for the difference between present and future. Romans chapter 8 from verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up until the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But we hope for what we do not yet have. We wait for it patiently. See the contrast between the present life and the life to come. Present, suffering, subject to frustration, groaning, pains in the present time, bondage, decay. Those are the words that Paul uses in this passage. This is the meaninglessness that the teacher identified in Ecclesiastes. Yet again, the Bible is very realistic at this point. If you are in a tough spot in life at the moment, that is not unexpected. It is not somehow because God has lost control. It is the nature of life we are in at the moment. But it is not the end. Because Romans 8 tells us there will be a glory that will be revealed in us. We wait in eager expectation. We will be liberated from our present situation. We will be brought into the freedom of the children of God. We await our adoption, our redemption. We wait patiently in hope. You see, the the despair, the meaninglessness, 
the anxiety of life that the teacher identified, those things are real, no question. And the Bible is very clear that there is a place for mourning, for reflection, for lament. Book of Psalms is all over it. We are absolutely not to be people who deny the reality of meaninglessness or wave our hand and say anxiety and suffering shouldn't happen. No, it is real, but it is not the end. It should not be the response or the, the emotion that permanently dominates our lives because as Christian people, we live in hope. And this hope is not pie in the sky, I really hope I get a good mark in my exam even though I've done no study kind of hope, unrealistic hope. No, it's a hope based on fact, on evidence. Perhaps you use the word trust rather than hope. That would be more appropriate. And here's the hope, 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. In Jesus, the meaninglessness, the temporariness of life becomes permanent because in him we are resurrected. The emptiness of life is, is filled because in him life comes in the full. In him, the anxiety that might be caused by misunderstanding or the status of our life now is resolved because he allows us to see the future. And so I invite you, especially if you're in one of those places, one of those moments in life where, where you resonate with the observations of the teacher, come to Jesus. Allow him to, to change your perspective. Allow him to give you hope. The Barmy army, as they get on the plane back to England, all they can hope for is better luck next time. It'll be different next time. But we have a much greater hope than that. Our hope is the resurrected Jesus. So put your hope in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus in whom we are raised. Thank you that in him we can trust, eagerly awaiting the new creation, the revealing of glory in which meaninglessness will no longer have a place. Father, we pray that you would fix our eyes on him and that you would allow us to see beyond the present frustration. Help us to wait knowing who you are and persevere in this creation now. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.